Hey, you're listening to Burst Your Bubble. I'm Josh, and I've got Kyler here with me. We're here to bring you the sharpest sports takes. Today, we are here with a Friday episode, getting ready for another long weekend. We've got basketball, baseball, football, and golf on TV this weekend. We're going to break down some happening inside the NBA bubble. Then we're going to try to look through the NFL cracks, see if we can figure out what the heck is going on. Remember to stay plugged into our social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Burst Your Bubble. You can also check out our newest addition to the family, FF Oki, at FantasyBYB on Twitter. Once again, that's at FantasyBYB on Twitter. That is Shane. He's our new fantasy contributor analyst. So we'll give him a shout out in the show. Once again, that is FF Oki at FantasyBYB. Also, remember, we're part of the Unwrapped Sports Network. So shout out to them and remember to follow all of our social media pages. Also, go check out the People's Sports Book, My Bookie Sports Betting. We guys, we're available everywhere you get your podcast. You can even get us on your Alexa devices. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, no hard feelings because more than likely, one of us will burst your bubble. Then bubble. I'm, I'm with you guys on when you think of bubbles, isn't the first thing that you think of bursting. Kyler, we are here with Friday's episode going into a long weekend. No work for me. Uh, work's cutting out early on Friday today and then no work on on Monday. No work Sunday either. Um, so it's, it's going to be a good relaxing weekend. I'm going to have a house full of bachelorettes. Uh, one of my wife's friends are having their bachelorette party, so they're going to come spend some time at the house before they go out to the river. Well, you're in a good spot this weekend then, Josh. I would say so. I'm not uh, not doing too bad. Uh, I'm basically the same. I don't have a lot to, I mean, I'll be working all weekend, but I'll be up in the, uh, the mountains of Hochatown working. So not a lot to complain about there. At least I'll have a pretty view. Uh, Josh, I just, you will, obviously we're going to get into the thunder and everything here in a little bit, but I just wanted to start off. Uh, I woke up this morning with a lot of joy, uh, right. It hit me right early in the morning. I mean, I woke up a little late to be fair, but, uh, Steve Nash, the new head coach of the, of the Brooklyn Nets. Big news right out of the gate today, uh, Steve Nash taking over for the Brooklyn Nets. Honestly, a, a questionable move here by the Nets. I, I wouldn't say – I've seen that on Twitter. I wouldn't say questionable. I, I would say surprising. So, I will, we've seen other, other NBA players get their jobs kind of this way. Jason Kidd, uh, most notably, the most recent one. Um, you know, even Tyron Lue worked his way up. Derek Fisher – um, so let me, let me, let me give you this right here. He is a complete 180 from the coach of the year, Nick Nurse. Those two guys could not be more different in how they landed these jobs. But he is exactly like Steve Kerr. He is a lot like Steve Kerr. I'm ex- it, it's very exciting. It is and, just, it is a questionable decision. How do you think Steve Nash fits in with Kyrie? Uh, so that's going to be, that's the ultimate question. That's the ultimate question for um, any person on this planet, I would say, that is that ever enters Kyrie's life. How do they fit with Kyrie? I imagine Kyrie asked that question about, I mean, I, even Postmates deliver, delivery people. I mean, I imagine Kyrie questions, you know, how does this person fit into my life? Should I accept this Postmates from this guy? Or is it going to impact the aura of tomorrow? You know, those are questions that I'm sure Kyrie asks. But I'm more interested in how he fits with Kevin Durant. Because they, See, we know that. We know the answer to that. 
those exactly. two, that relationship has already been growing. We know that those two get along. We know that KD has respect for Steve Nash. Steve Nash so respects much. the greatness of KD. Here, here's the thing. I think that that mutual respect is so strong. Josh, you know, you know how big of a fan I am of Steve Nash. You know, I follow everything he does. You know, if he puts out a podcast, which he does not, if he appears on any interviews, which he does not, Josh, half that interview he's talking about soccer. Half that interview he's talking about how much he enjoys his time now that he has outside of basketball. How much he's loving his life now that he's free of the everyday grind of being an NBA player that never takes an off season. Because Josh, if you take an off season, you're going to have a bad start to your season. And Steve Nash, as a constant professional, would never do that. And so for him to come out of that, to go back to the coaching of all things, I mean, it, the, the respect there from KD, it's glaring. It is. The, the question is, can he get this team to fall in line with what he wants? Another question is, what is the organization, what is the organization bringing Steve Nash in to do? Are they bringing him in to run the entire team? Are they, running, are they bringing him in to say, look, guys, this is what I did when I was a player. You can learn from me. Or are they exactly. bringing him in to take over the reins and, you know, run the organization? Because those are two different things. Right, Josh. And there's a bunch of different coaches in the league. There's a bunch of different types of coaches. I mean, you, like you said earlier, Nick Nurse, you got your Brad Stevens. They're going to draw you up an out-of-bounds play better than anybody on the planet. They're going to get you two points out of an out-of-bounds play. We saw that with both Boston and Toronto tonight. We have coaches like Steve Kerr who are real players coaches who can relate and talk to any player about any situation because he's been in those situations. And if you look at guys like Steve Kerr, if you look at his bench, Mike Woodson, you look at guys who can, who can drop those plays, who can talk strategy, who can talk defensive schemes. And if you look at the Nets bench now, the assistant, the head coach last year, uh, Vaughn is his last name. His first name is slipping me. Um, He's still on. He's going to be the assistant head coach. He's. I mean, I don't even think that's his title. It's basically their co-head coaches. So I love this hire. I love bringing Steve Nash in. It's pretty much, hey, you know. And I even saw he was trying to get Dirk on board too. Could you imagine Dirk and Steve Nash coaching Kevin Durant all season long? I think he'd shoot seventy-five percent from three. So do you think that because I did see where Dirk denied his request or kind of turned him down? Do you think that's just because he hasn't had enough time out of the league yet to enjoy some of that uh, off season like Nash has? Probably, and I also think it has a lot to do. I think Mark. I bet Mark Cuban wants Dirk. I mean, in line to take over for Rick Carlisle. Yeah, I can see that, and obviously Dirk still has a lot of ties to Dallas and everything that's going on over there. So that would not surprise me a bit. Uh, this shocked me, though. Steve Nash leaving Golden State uh, it shocked me. I was thoroughly – yeah, I mean, no better word than uh, – Josh, uh, like I said, he just loves out, out his life outside of basketball. He is in love with it. And for him to come back to coaching, it, it shows me how much he respects Kevin Durant. And it shows me how excited he is for this team. Uh, you know, obviously a, a winner in Steve Nash, he's going to come in and try to take this team – exactly where it needs to go and it would look so great if he could make a deep run of the playoffs in his first year oh, i think it's inevitable and uh i mean after last night we'll get i mean two nights ago i should say thursday wednesday night wednesday night wednesday night uh, a, a lot of pain was dealt out and waking up on thursday morning to this news was exactly what i needed 
Uh, Josh, before we get into all that pain, do we have some NFL to talk about? What do we have to get to first? Yeah, let's go. Let's we got a couple of things going on in the NFL right now. So let's start with the biggest news. Uh, so earlier in the week, we learned that Leonard Fournette got cut from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Mm. Kyler, this was crazy because they couldn't get anything for Fournette. No one wanted him at all. They couldn't get a sixth-round draft pick. Well, I mean, it's it's a little more uh, obvious that teams did want him. It's just obvious that the uh, situation that the Jaguars were in, all the other teams could sense that. All the other teams could sense that, hey, this guy, he, he's not going to play for them. And if he does, he's not, they're not going to be any good. And he's not that much of a difference maker for us to waste, you know, a third, fourth round, fifth – Hell, Josh, it did surprise me they couldn't get a sixth-round pick for him. But, I mean, if, if you don't have to waste it, why would you? I mean, I think that there are a couple teams that, that sure could have used him uh, instead of a sixth-round draft pick. Uh, but, you know, obviously the injury concerns are there. Uh, the things are there. So, And they know he's going to be a free agent in a week. Yeah, but then you have to worry about the payment and setting up a new contract where, you know, you could just take what, take what he had. It wasn't that much. But so, uh, fast forward, he makes it through waivers. He becomes a free agent. Shock everyone. So everyone thought some one team was going to pick him up. No one did. Signs with who else but Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. When they had four running backs already in rotation, they said, why not add a fifth? So, Kyler, I'm going to give you my opinion on this. Go ahead. Ogan Benwale is, is irrelevant. Keyshawn Vaughn is not – it's basically a redshirt year. He's not going to do much uh, in his first year. He was primed to take over a little bit of that role. It's gone now. It's not going to happen. LaShawn McCoy is probably going to get cut. If he doesn't get cut, he will be delegated to very rare touches. Ronald Jones – right now, Bruce Arian said that Ronald that Rojo is our guy. Ronald Jones is our lead back. Kyler, what did we talk about last episode? NFL head coaches are blowing smoke. Leonard mm-hmm. Fournette, week three, is going to be this team's lead back. It can split to a committee all it wants to be. It's not going to happen for long. Leonard so, Fournette is going to take over. I agree with everything you're saying, except for the LaShawn McCoy take. Uh, LaShawn McCoy was on the Chiefs last year, correct? Mm-hmm. I think Tom Brady wants that in his locker room. I can see. I mean, he's a he's a good veteran presence. That's what I'm saying. Just, if, he, if he doesn't get cut, he's getting delegated to very rare touches. He wants guy see the who, football. A guy who was with Patrick Mahomes in that backfield for that Super Bowl run just a year ago, I, I think Tom Brady wants him in his locker room. Learn as much I, as he can. Yeah. I can play I agree I agree with you though. I think I mean Leonard Fournette, when this convers I was having this conversation on the night before he was signed with a couple of my buddies, and I told them, you know, Leonard Fournette, he rushed for over a thousand yards. He caught nearly 600 yards through the air. I mean, he's one of the most dynamic backs in the NFL, top five, six dynamic backs in the NFL, you'd say? He's up there. I mean, for sure. And it, I knew it wouldn't be long, and I knew he could be a difference maker if a team were to go out and take that chance. And, I mean, like you said, who better than Bruce Arians and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Yeah, and it's a good situation for him to be able to go into. Obviously, Tom Brady loves running backs. And i tell you what, man, that Tampa Bay team, it just keeps getting scarier and scarier. The, 
you know, obviously I, I just told everyone not to believe the hype from preseason. Chemistry between Mike Evans and Tom Brady, I think, is absolutely there. And Chris Godwin runs the exact routes that Tom Brady loves to throw. This Tampa Bay team just gets scarier to me. I mean, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, O.J. Howard, Rob Gronkowski, Ronald Jones, LaShawn McCoy, and now Leonard Fournette. It's along with the brilliant mind of the mad scientist Tom Brady with uh, Bruce Arians. It's it's very, very scary, Josh. I, I think the, this is the most explosive – I mean, I don't want to say most explosive, but I, the most consistent offense in the NFL. It is one of the scariest offenses in the NFL, that is for sure. I don't think – I don't see – I had this conversation – the same conversation with my buddies. Um, do you think – offenses are going to run rampant like defenses are. I may have asked this question to you on the last episode. We did talk about it, and uh, I think we come up with that. Yes, they will, but I think that you're still going to see good defenses prevail uh, in, in some of these matchups. I, we'll I, see. Yeah, right. And we said yeah. the bad teams are going to get exposed. Exactly, yeah. You're going to know who the bad teams are real quick yeah. whenever they go get some of these offenses. Because for sure, I mean, there, are this, there are some of these offenses that there's no way that they can be bad. Like obviously Dak had some had some struggles last year, but that can't happen again. That offense is too good. Baker Mayfield and that offense Cleveland. is too good. They're, They're so good. These offenses should Josh, I can name four offenses right now that have to average thirty points a game. They literally have to. I mean, just by going out there, putting a uniform on and letting the referees blow the whistle, you're going to put thirty points on the scoreboard. And if you don't, you have to fire everyone mid-season if you're winning games we don't have to we don't have to blow it all up blow it all up (laughs) i love it so let's go to the opposite side of tom brady and let's look at the other side of the patriots dynasty and look at bill belichick bill belichick uh, was trying to keep the new starting quarterback close to the chest he announced yesterday or thursday the new starting quarterback will be cam newton we had no idea that this was going to happen. Complete surprise to me. Uh, I thought my boy Stidham had it in the bag, had no faith in Cam. Yeah, right. We all knew what you were doing, Bill. We imagine knew. imagine the Bill comes out and names Stidham the week one starter. I'm here for it. Jesus Christ. In this in this day and age, I don't uh, – maybe too many Bostonians would have been for that, but definitely would not have been received well. No, absolutely not. And, you know, after he started in that one commercial – yeah, everyone would have been like, "Oh, Bill Belichick doesn't even care Ooh. anymore." Who are Another the Patriots? Thing, Bill, Belichick said Cam Newton is the hardest worker he's ever seen. Oh, obvious. He has to say obvious things to get behind that quarterback. He's gonna throw every shot he can at Tom. I bet they text each other at night like little girls, not little like like little kids. You know, like whenever you're like little girls, twelve, thirteen years old, back just laying there, he he he. I know that they do. Sending gifts and memes. That's exactly what I said, Josh. I said when he left that press conference, he called Cam Newton immediately. He said, you'll never guess what I just told. I told him, you're the hardest working motherfucker I know. Ah, they're not going to believe that in Boston tomorrow. They're going to get a load of that. I, I mean, it's, it's typical Bill Belichick. I mean, not typical at all. I mean, I think it's typical of him now, you know, the snap face, the tweet books. He knows what all that is, and he knows that in this day and age, this quarterback, especially in this media, like I said about Boston, and we know what Cam Newton looks like and likes to dress like, especially on game days after a tough loss. 
he is getting behind his quarterback very early, and that's apparent. And that's what he has to do. And on the other side of the ball here, or on, on the actual side of the ball where the quarterback is, I'm so excited for Cam. I think that Belichick's yeah. going to put him a little bit more in a, a run-focused offense. I've seen some uh, a couple highlights of Nikhil Harry. He's looking good. Uh, you know, obviously those are just highlight reels, but I've got a lot of faith in Nikhil after last year. I think he's going to be able to take a step forward. And Josh, I, the past five, the last five years, the Pats have been a run system. Yeah, but Cam hasn't had that. Yeah, I know though. I'm just say. saying, like, it, I don't think it's going to be much of a change. I, I expect this. I mean, I expect the same Patriots. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I would agree with that. I still think that they have a very good defense. It's going to help them win games. And Cam is good. Enough, Cam is better than Ryan Tannehill is at not throwing the ball away. Is is I mean, is Cam any? I don't. I don't want to say is he better than last year's Brady, but he's definitely not any worse. Yeah, I mean, it literally just comes down to can you take care of the football? That's what that's what it boils down to. Get your five-yard passes when you need to. Let James White, Sonny Michelle, and Damian Williams run the ball. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, speaking of taking care of the ball, Josh, you ready to get into the pain? So I got one more football thing I want to talk about just real quick. Thank God. Uh, Alvin Kamara. Oh my God! Yeah, I've, I've got him in. I have him in like six fantasy leagues. Yeah, so not good news for a lot of fantasy owners like yourselves out there, like yourself out there. The good news is that he uh, was showing that he did plan to show up to practice. Looks like a lot of this contracting war is over. But it got scary there for a second. Uh, they're still trying to figure out uh, somewhere to meet. You can blame Christian McCaffrey and Joe Mixon. Yeah for Alvin Kamara wanting this payday. Well, and also the Buck or the Saints paying Taysom Hill $16 million. And there's that. Jesus Christ. Paying I mean, them more uh, than they pay Drew. So are, are they are they trading him? Are they, so that's I saw Josh, they were shopping him for a first round. If you're so, a team with a first round, what? I'm, I'm sending you a first and a second. So they, so I don't think that they were necessarily shopping. I think this was a bluff on their part trying to trying to float the idea out there but they don't want to trade Kamara that's the thing they want to keep him on that team they know that he's a dynamic player and they know his rapport with with Drew and they want him on the team it's just a fact of can they make the numbers match and I think that they will I think that this is one that that happens I think it stays on the lower side for this year uh and they say and they tell him look we got one more at least one more year with Drew help us get through the year we'll pay you next year I imagine when they sent out, you know, that little, whatever they told him, you know, you know, start to shop, you know, yourself, you know, if you want this much money, then I don't think we're going to reach that, you know, tell your agent to, you know, start shopping some trades. I imagine Josh, that is much like when you uh, go on 2k, you know, your association mode or your little, my, my league or whatever, and you go to trade somebody and you push the trade finder on somebody like Kawhi Leonard and all 32 teams give you trade requests with like just the most stacked players. I imagine that's a lot like what the, uh, the GM of the saints was getting that day. Yeah, if those calls were actually made, I guarantee you everyone wanted Alvin Kamara. You'd be stupid not to. For a first round? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Could you imagine if he ended up somewhere? Jesus Christ. Instead of Fournette, Brady gets Alvin Kamara? What if he ends up – I mean, Josh, a lot of teams are still out here uh, shopping. The Chiefs, they – I mean, <laughs> wouldn't that just be horrific? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of teams out looking for looking for quality running backs right now, even uh, did, uh, even the Bears. I did see. I was going to talk about the Bears. The Bears are um, looking like 
candidates to land Jadavion Clowney. Well, what do you think about that? Uh, so the Bears are, are leading that now. Uh, I saw they're in it. I mean, I I like the Cowboys in that in that race. Yeah. So I actually uh, saw something from one of our favorite uh, ESPN people, uh, Diana Rossini, uh, just a little bit ago. When is she coming on the pod, Josh? You know, we keep begging her, begging her. So the two teams that are uh, that are probably going to land him are the Saints and the Titans. Mm. So. Uh, Jacksonville is still monitoring the situation. The price for Clowney is too high for Seattle. Uh, Tennessee Titans and the Saints are both making very strong pushes. Both teams want him on the field by Monday and are making their pitches now. So they're having players call, text Clowney, convince him. It's a good thing this is not the NBA because this would be breaking all kinds of tampering rules. Yeah, and I'd imagine um, if I'm Tom Brady or anybody else in the NFC style, I'm probably on the phone with Ryan Tannehill or, uh, or Frank. Uh, what's his, what's the uh, Mike Vrabel, the Tennessee Titans head coach? I'm on the phone with him, trying to tell. Hey, I think y'all might need Jadavion Clowney on that line because if the Saints end up with Jadavion Clowney, man. If the Saints get Jadavion Clowney, then the league is in a world of trouble. They are. Uh, Josh, that's all I've got in the NFL. Do we have anything else to talk about? No, that is all I have for the NFL. I, I'm sorry, guys, if y'all like baseball. Um, I, it's a lot going on, you know what I mean? And uh, baseball playoffs aren't quite – they're getting pretty close. We're already halfway through the season. So uh, we are going to start paying a lot more attention to the uh, standings, a lot more uh, important games coming up in these pennant races. So uh, bear with us. We'll be there in a couple of weeks. Yeah, well, with that, Kyler, uh, do you want to talk about social media or do you want the people to hear an ad? Uh, let's read the ad. We've got a social media coming up in a little bit. Kyler, I know how much we both have loved what Anchor has given us as a podcasting platform. Ladies and gents, if you haven't heard of Anchor yet, you're missing out. Most importantly, it's free. Anchor gives you the ability to edit and upload your podcast directly from your phone to get anywhere you can get your podcast. Apple Music, Spotify, it'll be there. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listeners. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Kyler, it's time. We have avoided it for way too long. We've got to, we've got to uh, get it out of our heads and we've got to work through the pain. Play through the pain. So uh, we missed game six as well. Do we want to talk about game six or no? Yeah, we can do it. We can talk about it real quick. We can talk about it quickly. Um, I mean, just, just real quick. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to get your – we're going to raise the bar, yeah. and then we're just going to crush it. So two theories here on what happened um, with the Thunder and Rockets and Harden and Westbrook in game six. First theory is, uh, of course, this is when Russ took over in the end of the game, um, you know, missed two shots, had a turnover. This is just Russ being who he, being who he is, and there's no changing him. Um, very much like, you know, you know that one girl in your hometown, Josh, and she always goes back to the manager of your local Sonic. Uh, you know, he's just not that great of a decision maker, and neither, neither is she in the scheme of things. And, you know, if you keep giving him chances, at some point he might show some change, but at some point you will both end up with a felony. Uh, and that's why it's just not a great idea. If you end up, if you keep letting Russell Westbrook take big time shots, you will be knocked out of the playoffs. Second, this is my second theory. 
Russ was single-handedly trying to end the Thunder season. I think in that game he was saying, hey, give it to me. You know, we're up a game anyway. Let me try and end it. I think that both of those theories are exactly what happened. I think that this is Russ being Russ. I think that Russ – I think that Russ thinks that he is the best player on the Rockets team. He is. In his mind. In his mind. And he should be. But in all actuality, he is not. And Josh, there, Russell Westbrook has never stepped on a basketball. He's never – he has never walked the same earth with anyone that is better at basketball than he is. Yes. And credit to him because he wouldn't be as far as he is if he didn't believe that. Absolutely. And you can't knock someone having a chip on their shoulder like that, giving them the edge that they need. But in all actuality, he is not the best basketball player on that team. Russell Westbrook is going to play with his head down and keep grinding, and he's going to play at 130 miles an hour, and you get the good Russ and you have to live with the bad rest. Because 75% of the time, Russell Westbrook's going to give you exactly what you need. But that 25% that he doesn't, it's not good. It's, I, it might be a little more than 25%, but it's not good at all. But, I, that, I mean, Josh, that buzzer beater against Denver a couple of years ago, that's the absolute peak. That you, is, get, you, you have to live with the wonderful Russell, but you also have to live – with the Russell Westbrook that turns it over with three seconds left on the clock and costs you the game. And Josh, that play against Denver, uh, very similar play call on Wednesday night. Uh, but uh, third theory, here's my third theory. I've really just thought of it. And I thought of it during game seven. Harden does not want that shot. Harden, it's not that he doesn't want it. It's not that he's, you know, avoiding the ball. He's sure as hell not fighting for it, Josh. Oh, yeah, I was going to save this till we got into game seven, uh, but I can get into it now. James Harden shies away from the biggest moments. It's not it, – he's scared of the moment. He absolutely is. He shrinks in those big games. During the regular season, he takes those shots like it's nothing. You get him into a game six to put somebody home or a game seven, he shrinks. He doesn't, he doesn't want the ball. He doesn't want that spotlight. He shrinks. Everyone's talking about, oh, what a great defensive play. Yeah, yeah, that one great defensive play. But the rest of the game, the rest of what James Harden has been known for for the past three years went out the damn window when he does not step up to even try to find the ball in the last four minutes of the game. Well, I, maybe it all comes flooding back to James Harden rather than it goes out the window. Uh, like you said, it's that, it's, that, it's that game six. You know, we talk about game six clay, how he steps up in that moment. You know what I mean? He accepts that moment. He, when we talk about it, Josh, we talk about accepting the outcome of the shot. Russell Westbrook is so good. He got to that moment of taking those big time shots because he knows the praise, the hate, the love, the envy, the headlines that are going to come with him taking that shot, the good, and it's about accepting that, accepting the outcome. And you're right, James Harden absolutely cannot do that. In game six, in the last five minutes, he only shot the ball three times, including that last second heat. Uh, so we'll get into game seven um, right now. So SGA. let me ask you this. Hold on. You, 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 you talked about somebody, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a choice here. You get to pick between two people. Would you rather have – Game six, Clay, or game seven, Lou Dort? Oh, Jesus, Josh. If Harden, if Harden doesn't block that shot, 
I mean, it's it's probably going in. Boomtown Hoop said it was. It's, it's probably going in. So Jeez, do you take, he played so good. Do you take game six, Clay, or game seven, Dor? Um, I might be a little bit biased, Josh. You know, I, I love those Warriors runs, so I'm going to pick game six, Clay, going forward. But, I mean, the most points from a sub-22 year old in a game seven in NBA history, the most points by an undrafted rookie in game seven history. Uh, I mean, a phenomenal game from Lou Dort, but let's get into it. Uh, let me go through these series of events. The score, uh, SGA knocks down a big three in the corner. The only big three of the final two minutes, the only three in the final two minutes, 102-101 Thunder. PJ Tucker comes down, has a good finish. They retake the lead. The next Thunder possession, CP dribbles out a lot of the shot clock, fires it to Schroeder, who wasn't expecting it, misses a 25-footer by about two and a half, three feet. Um, Steven Adams comes up with a big steal the next possession, and that leads to the Chris Paul missed floater after um, uh, almost a turnover. Russ misses another shot because, like we said, Mr. Fourth Quarter James Harden is nowhere to be found. And let's stop right here. 25 seconds left, down one point. What's going through your mind after all that? We call a timeout. So before all of that as well, leading up to all these events that you just said, we broke it down. But in real time, this was the sloppiest 30 seconds of basketball I've ever seen in my life. That was worse than watching some of the fifth and sixth grade games I used to coach. It was an ugly 30 seconds there. There was three flops in this time period. Mm -hmm. CP3 flopped. I think Tucker flopped and Harden flopped. And then all the missed shots. It was absolutely nuts. That Chris Paul missed floater broke my heart, Josh. It broke his heart. It, so after that, I'm thinking, well, we still have a really good chance here. I think that we have a – we're in a really good spot. We're the most clutch team in the league. We can't let Russell Westbrook beat us. Josh, and it was it, – and he, we did – we – the game plan worked out for us. It did. I mean, hey, it's – Russ, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Take a 16-footer, please. And I, he did exactly that. Josh, it comes down to 25 seconds. Uh, it, really, those two possessions by Chris Paul – inexcusable in the last minute for him to dribble probably 30 seconds of game time in the last minute and get a bad floater or a good look on that floater that missed off of Adam Steele. But that first possession where he dribbled out literally 17 seconds of the shot clock and then passed it to Schroeder as it, as it was expiring. I mean, he had just knocked down a three a little bit earlier, but still, I didn't like that at all from Chris Paul. I, he really let me down in this, in the end of this game. So I think he let Scott Foster get in his head. So I don't have a problem with him dribbling out shot clock, but if you're going to do that, you guys need to be running some kind of some kind of play. You start that play a little bit earlier, get a little bit of dribble penetration, kick to someone, get a little bit of motion or something. It was literally just four, five guys standing outside the three point, four guys standing outside the three, one inside, and you're just standing there dribbling the ball. You've got to have a little bit of motion. You you look like the Rockets in that possession. That's yep. not your half-court game. You have to run your play at that point in time because you want to run the clock out. You're up one. You need a bucket here to put you up three with as little clock as possible. Yeah, we, and we talked about that exactly. That's what makes the Warriors so dangerous. None of their players ever stop moving ever. That's what makes those cuts so dangerous. It makes Clay Thompson so dangerous in the game six. Uh, so many backdoor layups he gets. So last 25 seconds, down one. Uh, 
we dribble out the shot clock once again. So we have the ball with 25 seconds. We call a timeout. We do not shoot the ball until there's four seconds left. And that is a Lou Dort corner three that, of course, James Harden blocks. Uh, Lou Dort catches, tries to throw it off Harden. Um, of course, they rule that they're both out of bounds because Harden touched out of bounds. Um, no, Lou Dort touched out of bounds. So right. what happened was James Harden blocked Lou Dort. Ball yeah, they bumped into the each other. And Lou Dort stepped out of bounds. And whenever he jumped in the air for the ball, he, he caught the ball in the air. At that moment, it's out because yeah. he never repositioned himself back in bounds. So that's mm -hmm. why they ended up getting 2.7 seconds left on the clock. Yep. So got uh, so you know really lucked out by that because now when uh, when they go to the free throw line, they only knock down one. So now it's only a two point game. Uh, James Harden fouls very unwisely before the inbounds for some unforsaken God bless Billy Donovan for sending Danilo Gallinari to the line instead of Chris Paul. Maybe Chris Paul's in the line. I don't know. God bless him, Josh. He missed a free throw. So now we're still down two, inbounding the ball. One, what was it, 1.1 second. And uh, shout out PFT. He called it perfectly. You know, we had to get it to our number one scorer there in Steven Adams, and that was the game plan, apparently. You know, threw it right to Steven Adams, and he just couldn't make the catch. So before James Harden fouled on the inbounds play, Steven Adams had P.J. Tucker or Eric Gordon, I don't remember. Sealed. Sealed. Had him sealed. There was probably 15 feet of basketball court on the other side of Stephen Adams that no one was even looking at, and SGA never thought to look at it. Instead, we wanted to call the timeout and get the ball to Stephen Adams up on the corner and so that way we could get the elbow shot off. I don't understand what happened here. First off, I don't know why Stephen Adams is by the elbow. That big motherfucker needs to be down at the block because I'm living with a – Throw it up to Steven at the only seven foot guy on the court. I'm throwing it to him for a tip in before I'm throwing it to anyone on that team for a fader 20 footer. Josh, that's exact. Josh, do you remember a couple of years ago? That's how Al Horford Celtics beat the, uh, beat the Cavs in one of those games with a lob just like that. Marcus Smart to Al Horford right over the top because he had Tristan Thompson sealed perfectly. How does Austin to Thunder home in like 2010 or something, 2012, from a tip in on the backside after a Kobe miss? So like, this happens. You're the you're the biggest guy on the court. You sh ah, that's the thing, Josh, because it's Stephen Adams again playing like he's six foot six, and he's sitting there. He has Tucker sealed, Josh. No one is 12 feet around him. If you're that big, if you're wrestling that many ox in New Zealand in the off season. Call for the ball, ball, mirror, ball. That's all it takes, and that's two points. And it's game. Well, then you go to overtime, and then I think we win the game, which should have been game there because Gallad Danilo Gallinari should have made the free throw. That actually, rewind. Billy Donovan should have sent Chris Paul to the free throw line. Chris Paul makes a free throw. We get momentum. We get the, the shot by Stephen Adams to go in. We win the game. And then it's also, Josh, like we started this breakdown, started this recap very specifically with that SGA three with a minute, 12 seconds left, I think, maybe less than that. To give the Thunder the lead, push them over 100 points. To have him throwing in the ball as the only player of the 10 players on the court to have knocked down a three in the past two minutes of gameplay, to have him throwing in the ball with 1.1 second left, another irre what's the word josh irrehensible 
<laughs> era I, hip. I think well, I think we're missing out. It might start with IP. Reprehensible. Irreprehensible. What is it? Is reprehensible? Is that something that can be reprehensed? Yes. What is repre? I don't even know what that means to be honest with you. But Josh, an atrocious, another atrocious mistake from Billy Donovan. Unexcusable. I mean, two in a row in the last minute. Fire this man. Reprehensible is guilty. Blameworthy. So those those were absolutely reprehensible mistakes. So I don't think that the game plan was to take a sh like a, a shot shot. I think that the game plan was to get something close Adams, to the he's basket. Gonna, he's going to Stephen Adams is going to flip the ball back either to the inbounder, to Gallinari, or to Chris Paul on the short corner. The ball was to go to Stephen Adams, though. That is heartbreaking. With Schroeder running wide the fuck open to the corner. And you saw Russell Westbrook said, you know, all my time in Oklahoma City, I knew who was getting the ball at the last second. And I'm like, first of all, why the hell is Stephen Adams getting the ball there? Josh, who caught the ball against the uh, that Thunder Nuggets game we talked about a little bit earlier? I know it. Who, who caught the ball in that game last year? Uh, PG knocked down that game winner. It just shouldn't happen. We should have a – How do you call that? The other guys on the floor are 6'8". But, Josh, how do you call something that literally the other guy was running last year? Uh, uh, another rep reprehensible, fireable offense from Billy Donovan. Uh, and then we see Friday night what it's supposed to look like whenever you're in the last seconds of a game and the coach has to draw up a new inbounds play to win a game. Yeah, and like I said, Josh, uh, I don't want to spend too much more time on this. We have a couple more games to break down. Uh, I think Steve or Chris Paul did let Steve uh, – what was the referee's name? Scott Foster. Scott Foster. I, I think he let him get in his head. I think by the end of the game – at Russell uh, – Chris Paul, I'm sorry, should have been given a tech the way he was talking to Scott Foster at the end of the game. He was saying some very, very mean things to that man. Um, and honestly, Josh, if you're doing all that – I don't think you're too focused on a game-winning shot, a potential game-winning shot. Russell Westbrook should have gotten a technical foul when uh, they called the foul on Dennis Schroeder and Russell Westbrook slapped the ball out of Dennis Schroeder's hands and pointed yeah. his finger in the referee's face. That should have been an immediate technical foul, thunder shooting free throws, get the ball back. Well, here, I mean, Josh, I saw things going on all night in that game that should have been technical fouls that were called technical fouls even the night before, even two games before, even games earlier that day. I mean, guys punching the air and getting texts. Uh, really weak tech. So maybe the refs got, you know, a memo to say, hey, stop calling fucking texts or they're going to fight you in the parking lot. They're going to fight you at the vending machines. Like, y'all better stop. Uh, maybe that's part of it because I mean, there were no texts in this game when there uh, for sure could have been a lot. Uh, but, yeah, I think uh, he did let – a lot of that getting his head. And here's a question I have for you, Josh, and we'll get into Steve Javi here in a little bit, him and Doris Burke going at it in that Heat Bucks game. Um, what's worse, throwing out Tim Duncan, who is quiet on the bench. And this, is a, this is a poll from the Levitard show, uh, which Steve, da Steve uh, I'm sorry, this is, uh, this is what Steve Javi did one time. He threw Tim Duncan out while he was quiet on the bench. Uh, Steve Clifford once has thrown out two separate mascots. On two separate occasions, he has thrown out a mascot. 
Which is worse? Probably throwing – well, worse in which sense? Probably throwing out a uh, a quiet Tim Duncan because I think that it's hilarious to throw out the mascots. I think that's so funny. Uh, and Tim Duncan was, was very quiet, but he was smiling, and he – like. Obviously, he should not have been thrown out. Should not the ref was making it about himself there, getting very personal. Uh, but throwing mascots out is always hilarious. I mean, there's absolutely no way in the world to make it more about you in the moment than throwing out a mascot. To to eject a mascot out of the game could not make that game more about yourself, uh, for sure. But here's a here's a comment under that tweet: um, mascot tossing should be a new sport. I love that. <laughs> Um, that's a reason, Josh, that you should follow our social media pages before we get into the next game, unless you have any more on the Rockets Thunder. Uh, Absolutely not. I'm done with I've this. Expressed a lot, looking pain. forward to the thing I will say is I'm looking forward to the future. We have a lot of draft picks. We have a lot of young talent. Our young core, Shea, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Darius Baisley, Terrence yeah. Ferguson. That's what we, we, are, we, are we should speak on that a little bit. Uh, I'll ask you this, Josh. Was this the last – game we see Chris Paul play for the Oklahoma City franchise? Uh, I think so. I, and I think that's because he wrote and gave a farewell video. I don't know if you've Did seen you? this, but it, I mean. I was sad. It was Pain, basically Josh. like, I, you know, I'm moving on, but thank you for the year. It was a blast. It was a goodbye video, was it not? It was, that was definitely a goodbye video. I mean, he even said in the video, he said Sam was straight up with me from the beginning. He said, he's, I mean, he's been one of the most straight up guys in my life ever and you know he told me hey you know i'm not sure where this is gonna go i'm not sure where i'm gonna be next week but uh, i a heartfelt thank you to oklahoma city and i mean we extend that right back to chris paul you know he's been here obviously the oklahoma city hornets came here we talked to uh, josh click about that he gave his all to oklahoma city uh back then when he didn't have to and he did it again in 2020 uh we can't thank him enough for that yeah absolutely and he did things for basketball that is iconic he will go down as a first ballot Hall of Famer for sure. Yeah. I hope we just have not seen the end of Chris Paul. No, I, I don't think we have. And I think there's a – I would love to see him on the Bucks, But, Josh, if you think Sam Presti is going to take anybody on this Bucks team, you're out of your mind. Yeah, I had that conversation with some guys last night. They said, we don't want Bledsoe. We already had Russell Westbrook. We don't want a poor man's version. We don't want George Hill. We don't want Dante DiVincenzo. We don't want your 29th, you know, 29th pick in the draft. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe Minnesota, though. Maybe Minnesota. I'm not sure. There's a lot of uh, options out there, but Billy Donovan's gone, right? Has to be. I think – I mean, there's an argument for and against. Obviously, he did not coach his best uh, in this game seven. This team did have a .04 or whatever it was, 1.2% chance of making the playoffs. They went game seven with the Houston Rockets in the first round. So, obviously, Billy was able to do some things right. I will say this. If Billy Donovan is a coach next year, COVID-19 is what helped save his job. The thousand percent. The hiatus and him not being able to finish out the season is what saved his job. Yep. He has not won a playoff round since Kevin Durant left. Uh, I would say we have seen the last of Billy Donovan in Oklahoma City. Uh, Josh, there's a lot of funny, funny tweets on our Twitter uh, throughout this game, you know, Right after that play happens, right after time expires in the Thunder game, just like Billy Donovan drew it up. Uh, you know, a lot of funny tweets like that throughout the game if you're looking for 
some commentary, some release throughout the day, some quality information about all the sports you love, about all the sports you're hearing about right now. Make sure you're following us uh, at Collar012, at jkeaton 22 at SportsBYBP on Twitter, uh, Burst Your Bubble on Facebook and Instagram as well. Check us out there, uh, growing every day, posting every day. Make sure you share us with your friends uh, and rate us five stars, five stars on Apple Podcasts. Josh, let's get to the next game. Uh, should we talk about the Raptors-Celtics game? That was a crazy today, crazy finish, or the Heat. Uh, I'm, you know, maybe not shocking to us, Josh, but shocking the world going up 2-0 against the Milwaukee Bucks. So I say let's start with the Heat. Um, like you said, not shocking to us. You and I both have been raving about the Heat even right before the bubble. We know we knew that these these guys would be able to flourish in this kind of system. Uh, I was a little bit higher on the Bucks. I think that it, they just kind of got screwed playing Miami. <laughs> I think they are going up against a team that is just in the zone and you know is kind of on a different level right now. And you know, be that as it may, you've got to come out and when when you're at the end of the game and Giannis is scratching his head, put his head down because he knows he just he lost the game. Yeah, right. So in game one, Jimmy Butler showed out. Uh, he was hitting shots late in that game, maybe chasing 40, but uh, it was reminiscent of a D-book, uh, D-book early, in, early in the bubble, you know, really getting into that zone and hitting some impossible shots, you know, in that, that turnaround fadeaway. Um, do you think that first game was a bad heat? Uh, I'm sorry, a bad Bucks team or just a really good heat team? I think it was a little of both. I think the Bucks yeah. came out a little bit flat. And I think that being able to be pushed by Jimmy Butler with – you know, uh, 30, 34, 36, whatever he had. Uh, 40. Oh, yeah, he did have – he ended up with 40. Uh, you know, being able to get pushed by that by your star, letting the young guys be able to just kind of flow through that, I think that's the exactly what you want from this Heat team. When your star is playing like that, it makes everyone more relaxed, more comfortable to take those shots. And when you've got guys like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero balling out, there's not a lot to worry about. Well, that's the thing also. The Bucks, you know, they gave up the most – regular season three-point attempts in the NBA. We talked a lot about that, Josh, because the Heat are one of the most uh, prolific three-point attempting teams in the NBA. Uh, and Duncan Rob- – they're selling out to take out Dun- take Duncan Robinson out of the game. They're selling out to take away these three-point shots. That was a little bit surprising to me uh, in that first game especially. They did it a little less in the second game, uh, but their their defense was stellar in the second game. Uh, the Bucks. The, man, the Bucks couldn't have played much better on defense than they did in the second game. Uh, but, I mean, I've noticed it from the start of the series. Goran Dragic can get to the rim anytime he wants. And, uh, I mean, that's the first question I have for you, Josh. Or, I mean, sorry, it should be probably the second question about this series. Uh, do you think they're better off trying to, you know, take away all those three-point attempts from Duncan Robinson, chase him around? Or do you think, uh, you know, they're better off letting them take them and locking down the paint like they usually do? You go with your game plan. You go with what got you to where you're at. But at the same time, if you realize that, look, guys, if we don't stick someone to Duncan Robinson, he's going to absolutely torch us, you've got to do that. You have to make adjustments. That's where the coaching comes in at. You can't get away from what got you to where you are, but you also have to be able to make adjustments on the fly. So I think there's a balance there, and I just think the Bucks haven't found it. I think they've tried – uh, more of the extremes on both sides, and it's been unsuccessful. Obviously, they tightened it down a little bit better in game two there. But in game one, you can't just go to the extreme of only selling out for the three balls. So, I mean, yeah. you have to do a better job of being able to stop a, a balanced attack. 
Right. And uh, we kind of talked about, you know, Eric Bledsoe and George Hill, the Thunder just the same prestige for sure doesn't want them. Part of that's because of what Goran Dragic is doing to them in this series. He's absolutely picking this defense apart. Uh, it's the credit to his decision-making and his shot-making, but he is, I mean, to use a cliche, he's taking exactly what the Bucks are giving him, possession after possession, and say, okay, it, I'm, you're giving me this three-point shot? That's easy. You're giving me this driving lane? That's easy. I'm kicking it out to, to Tyler Hero for three. I'm getting this layup. Whatever you're going to give me, I'm going to take. It's 2010 Nash-ish. Oh, Josh, he was, he was Nash's backup point guard in that 2010 season. I mean, this guy knows how to play the backup role. He could be – I mean, he could get his jersey retired one day in Miami, Josh, if he keeps uh, performances like this up. And, I mean, with that national career, Goran Dragic is on his way to the Basketball Hall of Fame. So, you know, we talked a little bit about – you uh, said, you know, there's a lot of landing places for Chris Paul. Obviously, one of the more talked about places was Miami. Uh, you know, they're still looking to add a star. So you could see a Dennis Schroeder – Chris Paul uh, kind of thing turned into Miami with Goran Dragic and Chris Paul. Mm. That would be uh, that would be a little yeah over there in Miami. That'd be pretty scary. I don't know exactly what what they'd have to finagle to do that, but you're right. The Dragon plays that role so perfectly, and he's he's a good decision maker. You know, we kind of talked about. I kind of think about him like I do Ryan Tannehill. Uh, mm. You know, Alex Smith. These guys just aren't going to throw the ball away for you. They're going to make smart decisions with the basketball. They're not going to go out and drop a fifty pointer. You know. They might, but I highly doubt it. Most of the time that they're just going to play within themselves, play within the system. And I think that's where you can give all the, a, a lot of the ultimate credit here to Eric Spolstra. You're putting yeah. in a young team with a brand new superstar, Jimmy Butler, with this a lot of ego. And you're putting all that together, putting it all aside to make a deep run in the playoffs. Give Eric Spolstra all the credit on for this team. Oh, yeah. If there's one thing for sure, this, uh, this, Heat team is, it's better coached than the Bucs. Uh, I mean, Eric Spolster has just started to open his bag of tricks by playing Derrick Jones Jr. in that last game. We saw how effective he was. So I'm very excited to see what else uh, Eric Spolster is going to pull out. He's still got Myers Leonard on that bench. Uh, Kelly Olenek hasn't played that much. And he was, he's been great in the time he has been in there. Uh, so we knew Jimmy Butler wouldn't shoot as well in game two, but we didn't think it would matter. Uh, and it didn't. Obviously, Bam Adebayo hit a couple of big mid-range jumpers in the final three minutes. Uh, so let me break this uh, final sequence down. Josh, score was 113-107 for pretty much the entire final minute of the game. Uh, Giannis got a dunk. Jimmy, a very, very bad pass. Brook Lopez, a layup. Um, all of a sudden, it's 111-113 with seven seconds left. Uh, Jimmy Butler's fouled, misses the first free throw. So Mr. Clutch in the past 20 seconds has a costly turnover and missed a free throw, cashes a second, makes it a three-point game. Um, the Gordon foul on Middleton. And then uh, sub subsequently, Steve Javi being called in to argue on behalf of the referees and Doris Burke going at his neck. Uh, shout out Doris Burke. Uh, Josh, what did you make of that? Did you think it was a foul on Goran Dragic on that three-point attempt? Goran Dragic was not a foul. He was standing where he was. Middleton got into his space. Mm -hmm. Defenders allowed their own space as well. And Doris made that case. I agreed with everything Doris said. You know, Grodgick gave him plenty of space. It's not his fault that Chris Milton jumped forward, tried to initiate the contact, and ended up getting the benefit of the call. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And uh, why even bring Steve Javi on? Josh, we know what he's going to say. Because they want the content. They want to hear him talk. He, I'm sure he's making that little bit of money off of those little guest appearances. 
we know what he's going to say. Stop bringing him on. We know he's going to agree with whatever was called on the floor. You know, you know, Doris, I, I see your point there, but I'm going to have to say it was a very good call on the floor. I'm going to have to agree with what the referee said there. Like, well, actually, Steve, they just reversed the call on the floor. I agree. It was a very good reversal that the referee had. You know, watch here on the replay. Watch why it's not this. And that's the thing. That's my another thing, Josh. This goes back to your point. What's the point of referees if we have instant replay? I think there's two reasons. One, we don't want the game to take an hour and a half longer than it would. And two, we want the human element in sports. So, okay. If we want to have the human element in sports, the, this guy made a mistake and it cost us the game. If that's still an option, then Josh, we got to eliminate instant replay. I mean, if... Josh, if you watch a charge, you can decide in your own head whether it's a block or a charge on every single charge or block that's been called in the bubble. It can go either way. Make that an instant decision. Make that if, – and if all the players and all the coaches have trouble with that, with that decision, they have a problem with it, the referees get together, and in five seconds, the referees have to decide as a group, all right, block or charge. Yeah, well, and that's a, and that's where the difference comes in because you know you and I are casual fans. Neither one of us, and I, I can say this confidently, neither one of us has read the entire NBA uh, rule book. We do not know those little details that these referees specialize in. They know the ins and outs of these of what should be called and what can't be called, I which agree. is why we need the referees to be able to enforce those calls. I, I completely agree. That's why I say let's get rid of the, let's get rid of the replay. Let's let the referees be referees. Go all go all in on it or eliminate them and, and hit up Elon, see what he's got for you. I, I guarantee you Elon's got something that would, that would make uh, referees. If Elon knew what basketball was, Josh, he would have already invented this for us. This problem would have been fixed years ago. He probably already has invented it. They just didn't want to buy it because he'd probably charge him out the ads. You think he knows what a referee is? Absolutely he does. He's too, way too smart. He knows what the definition is. Exactly. He's read that dictionary four times. Marion So uh, then right after that, the makeup call on Giannis. This was a foul. Sure. Giannis jumps yeah. into him. That's it. That's the difference here. The defender is jumping at and make and initiates the contact here. That's the difference between the two. Drogic did not move and it wasn't like he was crowded the shooter space. Giannis jumps. It's not, I mean, it's not his fault. He's lanky as hell and just long and bumps into him, but he does. And that's a foul. And Josh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to argue against you or Doris, and I'm not going to side with Steve Javi. But, I, I mean, I get why they called that a foul on Drogic. I mean. What did he, Doris say? I missed, her, I missed her take. Did she say it was a uh, foul? No, she, she went right at Steve Javi. Steve Javi got on there and said, you know, I, I think, you know, watch, watch Drogic go. No, no, no about Giannis. The, yeah, I'm saying, oh, on, on the Giannis foul. I'm yeah. not sure what she said on that. Okay, because Drogic was not a foul, but Giannis was. I think I think everybody was just as shocked um, as any. Josh, here's the thing: I've never seen that many fouls on jump shots in my life, but never in the history of watching basketball on any level seen that call at the end of the game. That that foul that Giannis had on Butler, that call on that player in that moment, the star player with zeros on the clock, a shooting foul is called on it. I've never seen that in my life, ever. Game tied. 
So Kyler, let me give you an example. This is obviously not the same situation, but it is very close. Let me set the scene for you here. 1.1 seconds left on the clock. The team's inbound to the ball, down by two. Calls a foul on the star player on the court. Before the ball is inbounded, the team will get to shoot one free throw and get the ball back for a chance to win. Well, still, Josh, that's not, that's not zeros on the clock. That's what I'm saying. It's not the same, but it's about as close as we've seen. I mean, that's like if, if they called uh, that block that – I mean, because it was such a clean block. Uh, the, last, uh, the last foul there, the last um, pass in attempt from the Thunder that obviously Russ blew up. They're not calling a foul on that, Josh. Somebody yeah. could get murdered in that. They're not calling a foul. Yeah. Shocking. I was shocked. Yeah. Oh. This, is, this was definitely a game of the whistle deciding the result, and those are always the worst kinds of games. You, you would much rather someone putting the ball in the basket or going to overtime than for the whistle to decide the game. You do hate to see it, unless you're a Heat fan. Heat are up 2-0 and, you know, headed back to Miami. They've got home court advantage for the next two games. Looking scary, Josh. If I'm if I'm the Bucks, I'm not. Uh, I mean, so here's the thing: Dave Pash, uh, him and Doris Berg, uh, they do such a great job calling those uh, those games before the primetime game. I think they should actually be the primetime announcers. I think Mike Breen and Doris Berg should actually be on the team now that we're speaking how we feel. But uh, Dave Pash kept saying on the Bucks, you know, there's 30 seconds left. Who's it gonna be? Who's it gonna be for this Milwaukee Bucks team? to step up and take the shot. I'm still wondering, Josh. I have no idea. I think Milwaukee's still wondering that. Because we talk about people shrinking. Actually, Richard Jefferson coming at Giannis, calling him a Scottie Pippen, telling him he needs his Jordan. Woo! I mean, is he wrong, Josh? I mean, I I, I think he's wrong calling him Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen can get a jump shot up. Yeah. No, I mean, it's – at some point, though, you have to just – Chris Middleton has to step up. If he's going to be the Robin of the team, he's going to have to be the Robin of the team. Well, I mean, Josh, we talked about this a little bit. Uh, you know, it's just you can be that guy. But it's about stepping up in that fourth quarter. Can you, you know, you can score. You can average 30 points a game, but it's about averaging those those 12, those 14 points in the fourth quarter. And not, not everybody can do that. And uh, I'll bring the, uh, this one point also. Rosillo met in his podcast. I want to get your take on it. Uh, he said he's done calling Giannis the best player in the world just because, you know, he's wild by his physical attributes, things like that. He's going to stop letting things like that, you know, cloud his judgment. Would you agree with that? Would you say Giannis is even in your top three best yes. players in the world right now? Yes. Right now, healthy players playing basketball, Giannis Antetokounmpo is in the top three of the best players in the world. If you don't agree with that, you're not watching basketball. Giannis is doing crazy things that other people cannot do. Yes, he did not step up in the last moments of these games, of, of game two and game one, he didn't step up. But to say that Giannis is not in the top three best players is very hard for me to buy. What, where is he ranked at to you? I think he's ranked number three. Sure, I think, yeah, probably number, probably three. I mean, I've got Kawhi number one. LeBron yeah. two. Exactly. Look, uh, at this moment, I've got Tatum three. No, stop it. I mean, Josh, if stop we're talking it. about basketball, AD over AD over Tatum. This is my. This is always my argument for KD. A game to ten. Who's winning right now? Right now, not KD. 
KD's counting by threes, man. You better count by threes if you're playing against KD because you're not going to stop him from making a three. KD's – I don't have to see it from KD. I ain't seen him play in a year. Uh, you know, my, you get my point, though. It, I, it I know what you down, mean. I, I know what you mean. Making the shots, and especially making the shots when it matters. And Giannis has not proved he's even capable of doing that. Besides the dunk. That dunk was – I mean, that little comeback they had at the end, very impressive. But if I'm the Bucks, I'm very scared. Uh, let's move on quickly, Josh, to the Celtics. Um, the Celtics started 6-0 and in the playoffs. Uh, Miami, also 6-0 and in the playoffs. Marcus Smart had an outstanding game one. I think he had, what, eight three-pointers in game one. Uh, outstanding performance game two. Wait, that was, ga- that was game two he had that performance, that three-point performance on. Yes, yeah, yeah. He came out, he exploded in game two. Right, so back to Toronto for game three. Um, and, Josh, the thing with Boston, I've said this before, three of their guys – are just as good off the dribble from mid-range and in than anyone else in the league. The Celtics? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The, the Celtics, the guard play at the Celtics is scary. It's frightening. I mean, to think that, I mean, tonight, Marcus Smart was their fifth best player, and Gordon Hayward is still out with that ankle, ankle sprain. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fearful if I'm the rest of the East. I cannot wait. I'm praying that the Heat can keep this up and get by the Bucks. Because if we get Brad Stevens versus Spo in the next round, I mean, that is just going to be – we might see some low-scoring games in there just because they might cancel each other out and just absolutely blitz each other on defense. Uh, but down two with 30 seconds left, you kind of get that same feeling with the Raptors that you do about the Bucks. Just like, who is going to take this shot? Uh, who do we really trust to get a shot up? Um, Fred Van Bleek gets by thighs, hit – makes a big layup no call um nick nurse losing his mind kimba on the next bet possession gets blitzed by gasol which seemed like a terrible idea and turned out to be but only because siakam makes a bonehead defensive play uh, that Kawhi i think deserves credit for josh because uh, last year Kawhi had siakam exactly where he needed to be he was like a coach on the court and that brings me to a question who do you think misses Kawhi more nick nurse or siakam Probably Kyle Lowry. Oh, Kyle Lowry. Yeah, if you put him in there, absolutely Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry, Lowry. he did not have the best year of his life. He did not have to be the superstar on the team, and he just deferred to Kawhi on everything. That made his life so much better. I guarantee. You know, not only because they won the championships, obviously that's you know it's a life-changing moment. I bet that was the best year of Kyle Lowry's life in the moment. He's like, you know, when that this that office quote, Josh. I don't want. How far are you in the office? That brings that brings that brings me to a really good question. I've been wanting to ask you for weeks now. How far uh, are you in the office? I'm pretty far into it. Uh, I know that. Uh, spoiler alert. So if you're not, if you plan on watching the office and you haven't yet, spoiler alert. Uh, Pam's having a baby. Oh, yeah. They're having a baby. So that's where I'm at. They're, uh, actually, they were just kind of starting to get into a little bit of fights. They were, they were kind of fighting their way through during the pregnancy. They, I think they were getting mm-hmm. each other's nerves a little bit. So well, um, I'd say it's because Pam is not a good person. Uh, oh, and actually, I just saw an episode where – so I can move forward a little bit. It's coming back to me. Cause I, it's been mm-hmm. a couple weeks since I watched it, but Andy left and just came back. Oh, that's, his, that's such, when he comes back as a janitor. <laughs> so funny. Oh, yeah. I don't know about a janitor, but he went on a boat for three months. Okay, so, uh, okay, yeah, you're, you're not quite there yet. Um, spoiler alert, he comes back as a janitor. 
But okay, uh, well, I don't know that he's leaving. I don't know. We'll have to find out. Not as a permanent position, but um, in the last episode of The Office, Andy is on the screen and he says, uh, "This is not a spoiler." Uh, he says, "I wish you could tell that you were in the good old days before you actually left them." I bet that's exactly how Kyle Lowry felt about that season. It was just the good old days, and today. Uh, more or less, Josh, the exact same play that the Thunder run the night before. Uh, drawn up for Fred, Fred coming up. Could go to Siakam. Could go to Kyle in the corner. I'm sorry, not Kyle. Uh, I think it was Norman Powell in the short corner there. And you have OG Ananobi going cross court to the corner. Taco Fall guarding the inbound. What is he, Josh? Seven, how tall is he? 7'2", seven 7'3". Seven he's, he's a big boy. Uh, the ball was in the air for over an hour. Uh, real stats there. Over an hour, the ball was in the air on that Kyle Lowry pass to OG Ananobi. And by the time it got there, he was completely set, balanced, shot the ball in 0.3 seconds. He caught and shot the ball in 0.3 seconds, which is a crazy stat. Keeps the Raptors season alive. And, I mean, that answered my question right there, who missed Kawhi Moore. That smile on Kyle, Kyle Lowry's face, that brought him back to that year. That put him right back in the good old days. That was, and that was the moment that this team needed. You know, my prediction was that this game would go seven, that Nick Nurse would be able to, to do some coaching battling here, and that's what happened. He, he had a great inbounds play that he got from a Hubie Brown uh, tape from years back. And so, uh, you know, he ran a great play, and they ran it to perfection. This shot puts him over the top. Kyle Lowry could not have been happier with his buddy, uh, Ananobi, and this was a great performance down the stretch. We talk about guys not wanting to step into that moment. Young guy like Ananobi did that exactly like he, like he should have. On the last episode, you said you needed to see more out of him. I would say that this is more out of him. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, uh, but, Josh – the Raptors, man, they remind me of the Heat. I'm sorry, of the Thunder in so many ways, just because of a lot of the time they have Gasol out there, and it's like, what? Y'all don't have anybody else to put out there that could get a rebound. Y'all don't have anybody else to chase people around. Josh, when they blitzed Kimba on that last play, when they when Mark Gasol just ran at him, it's like, what are you doing? Like Kimba is easily going to get by him, and you just know Kimba with that many playmakers, that many smart guys on the floor. Josh, you can't double team anybody. So I'll tell you who this team reminds me of. They remind me of the San Antonio Spurs because you always have someone like Splitter, which is Mark Gasol, who's just out there big as shit and doesn't look like they know what they're doing half the time. You have Kyle Lowry as your point guard, who is either going to be phenomenal with the basketball and been able to finesse whatever he needs to, or he's not going to show up. You've got the, a couple of wing players like a Ginobili, OG and Anobi, got, Josh, if OG and Anobi was healthy last year, I mean, that Raptors team would have been dominant. And then you've got Pascal Siakam, who is coming, stepping into that forward role. And this team is very well coached. They buy into the system. They are, uh, oh, fund, they are a fundamentally sound team. Mm -hmm. That's why they remind me of the, of the Spurs. They just do what they need to do to win basketball games. And that's sure, what I mean, yeah, that's my main argument for the Raptors. Everyone in their system knows their role. 1 through 12, they know their role. They know what they're bought in to do. I, I don't know, Josh. It, um, but the thing is, if Pascal wouldn't have blown that defensive coverage, because he that was a bonehead defensive coverage blown by your number one guy. Uh, if he wouldn't have blown that, I mean, I, I don't think Kimba makes that layup. 
No, absolutely not. And you have to expect more from your guy. Obviously, Siakam's still young, but he has to perform better. This is a championship team. A lot of these guys were on that team, and they have to, you know, they need to know and remember how to fight through some of these things. And that's exactly what they were doing in that game right there. They were fighting to keep their season alive, fighting to keep hopes alive, and they made it through. It doesn't matter if you won by one, two, or ten. You made it through that game, and you're going on to the next one. Uh, Josh, that's all I've got on that series. Uh, so we've got a little bit of time left here. We can either talk a little bit about, you know, Clippers Nuggets is going on right now as we're speaking. Uh, we can preview Lakers Rockets. Or we can, you know, shoot forward to uh, some PGA talk. But, uh, you know, we do have a Monday finish. So we could just talk PGA on Monday's episode. So I think that we should give our picks. We don't have to go into PGA, but we can talk uh, one or two of these games, but we should at least give our picks before we get out. All right. So let's, before we do the picks, let's go ahead and uh, we can just do quick preview of the, of the Lakers real quick yeah. and we can, we can talk that just real quick. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would have much rather seen the Thunder make the play or make it to the next round, obviously for, um, you know, fan reasons and, anti-fan of Harden reasons but this is the best case scenario for the Lakers I think Frank Vogel was watching that Thunder team yesterday shaking in his boots watching Dennis Schroeder get by everyone time after time watching Danilo Gallinari shoot over you know the outstretched hand of, hands of PJ Tucker time after time I think he was frightened by the matchups the Thunder presented and I think the Rockets you know people talk about it's such a weird matchup. Maybe the Lakers are going to struggle. You know, it's, they might be thrown off by the three-point shooting. Josh, who the fuck is going to guard Anthony Davis? <laughs> I don't know if you saw what I retweeted today on Twitter, but it is this just giant man playing on probably a six-foot goal with third graders and just dunking and swatting and pushing kids down. And it said, this is Anthony Davis in the second round against the Rockets. This is absolutely best-case scenario they're going to double team, triple team, crash in on AD so much. I mean, they're going to give Caldwell Pope, Danny Green, they're, all of those guys, they're going to give them every single opportunity to get in rhythm. That's what the 76ers did against the Celtics, Josh. The Celtics entered that series. Everyone was shooting poorly, especially Kimba Walker. It's like, okay, Kimba, you're not shooting well. Here's 20 open mid-range jumpers. <laughs> Let's see if you're shooting a little better next game. And I'm super, super scared of the Lakers now. I think they beat the Rockets in five. And if I'm, I'm watching the Clippers now too, Josh, just a quick preview of them. They're scary. These LA teams, I said they were in trouble. They're not. This is, this is what everyone feared uh, going into the playoffs. This is what everyone's feared all year. These two LA teams are going to be battling it out for that spot to go to the, the NBA championship. And that's exactly what we're going to see. I think there's a good chance we see a seven-game I think there's a good chance that we see a two separate seven-game series for the Eastern and Western Conference championships. And then I think that there's a good chance you see a seven-game NBA Finals game. I don't – I think for sure we see a seven-game NBA – I don't know, Josh. The Celtics look good. They do look good. But I think – so – For the finals to go seven games, it needs to be the Clippers. 2010 was the last time that the Celtics and the Lakers played each other in the finals. It went seven games. It went to the Lakers. Ten years later, the year of Kobe Bryant's passing, the year of COVID, 
everything else has happened. Give me Lakers-Celtics in the finals going seven games. Oh, and that's another thing, Josh. Uh, uh, a reason, a conspiracy, I should say, the, uh, the Rockets weren't going to make it to the next round. You know, uh, NBA Rockets games are not played in China because of the controversy. Yep. Um, so, but all other games are, just Rockets games are blacked out. So, you know, now this Western Con- the potential team that's going to be in the Western Conference Finals, potential team in the finals, uh, you know, could just com- completely black out that in China, which would, uh, I'd say, be a, a huge hit on the salary cap uh, coming up in the next couple of years. And Josh, I'm hearing from a bunch of different sources on a lot of different podcasts, a lot of people who are plugged in, we are coming upon one of the biggest labor disputes, potentially one of the biggest lockouts in NBA history. Would not surprise me, especially after we get through the bubble. I think that everyone wanted to get through the season that we were in uh, and then, you know, deal with all this at a later date. But um, getting back to these games real quick, I think that you're exactly right. The Lakers don't have a lot to worry about moving forward with the Rockets. Uh, I think I had Lakers in six, but five would make me a lot happier, uh, give them a little bit more rest. Uh, And, you know, I think that the Clippers are going to do short work of the Nuggets as well. I think you're looking at a five, maybe, maybe six game, probably a five game series in favor of the Clippers there. And those games, that game tonight has not looked close. The Clippers just came out and just beat them like it was nothing. And I think that it's very dangerous for the, for the Celtics in the fact that I think these teams are going to get a lot more rest uh, before they have to go into that Western or their conference finals. Cause that the Celtics, I think are going to have a battle with Toronto and then they're definitely going to have a battle with Miami. Even if they win in five, those games are going to be brutal. They're all going to be really tight. Uh, you know, I, I think this heat bucks series is going to go seven. Uh, I don't think so. I think Miami wins it in five. Uh, I don't think so, Josh. I think I think we I think they even it up two two back in Miami. Ooh, I think I think that's going to be wrong. I think we're about to go up. I think we're going to be up two one three one four one three one. Ooh, uh, Lakers Rockets. <sighs> what do you got there? I got Lakers in six. All right. Yeah, I, but the Lakers haven't played in a month and a half though, so. Uh, a lot of lot of uh, credit to them, credit to LeBron for timing that perfectly. Absolutely. Well, do you have anything else in the NBA? That's it. Let's get to some golf. All right, real quick. We know the format. We're going to pick our uh, our picks here. I need to pull up who is all – oh, I know who's all golfing. Uh, so, I guess it's just uh, – yeah. we have to pick. Every, everybody playing is in the top 30. So, we will do two in the top 10 and then the other two – any golfer that we want outside the top 10. All right. So I'll read you first, Josh, the past five winners at East Lake, uh, Rory, Tiger, Xander, Rory, Jordan Spieth. So those are the past five winners at East Lake, uh, par 70, right over 7,300 yards, Bermuda greens. It's going to be a tough test. Obviously it's where the, uh, it's where these playoffs will conclude. This is not much of a factor, but, uh, a lot of the shorter hitters, a lot of the guys who have their wedges working, who have their putter rolling nicely on Bermuda, uh, perform well here every year. And they, uh, it really shows, you know, throughout the end of the week, especially now. I mean, now DJ starting with a 10-stroke lead on most of these guys. That's my number one pick, DJ. Yeah, you can't, uh, you can't go wrong there. The guy who has um, obviously setting himself apart with that 10-under 
it's going to be very tough to beat him. Uh, you're going to have to have some good rounds of golf and hope that he has a couple of mediocre days. So I'm going to fall right under you, and I'm going to pick John Rom. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's minus eight for the tournament, so I figure we got to get the two guys with, uh, with the top two off the board uh, to give themselves – they have the best chance to give themselves a position to win right off the bat. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I'm going to go uh, right under that, Justin Thomas. So in 2018, when Tiger Woods won here at Eastlake, uh, Tiger won the tournament, but he did not win the FedEx Cup race. Uh, that went to our boy, Justin Thomas. I think, uh, so he did win that $10 million check that comes with it. Uh, he just didn't win the big, the big crystal ball trophy. I think he's got a chip on his shoulder, hasn't been playing particularly well in the past couple of playoff events. I think he's wanting to uh, really show up in this event, show that he can win the big one and walk out of here, you know, with both trophies and that $10 million check. Not a bad pick there. JT's been, uh, you know, trying to go for it. I'm going to skip one and I'm going to go to my boy where he, you know, it's time for him to win this big, this big one too. We're going to call him Morikawa. Yep. I think it's a great pick. I think, you know, he just won a major. I, a lot of momentum, ton of momentum. This kid has no pressure. He just came off a major win, so there's no pressure on him. He's going to go out and play uh, stress-free golf. I think another guy that's going to play stress-free golf, Xander Schauffele. Uh, that's, my, that's my next pick. He's been playing phenomenal golf. We know how consistently he hits his irons. If he can get the putter rolling on this Bermuda green, I think he's got a strong chance to – I mean, he's starting seven strokes down, but I, we saw last year, Josh, this is a really tough golf course. I think around 15 – to 18 under is going to win it, even though, you know, some of these guys are going to shoot 18 under for the tournament. And while Dustin DJ may shoot only seven, eight under, that might be enough. No, that's a, that's a really good pick. Uh, Shoffley is, is a young kid, but he's, he's been playing really good. He's been, his name's been all the way around there. Another guy who's had his name around the leaderboard these past couple of uh, tournaments is the guy, Daniel Berger. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bird's been right there. Anytime that you're looking at the top 10 of a scoreboard, his name's been right up there, at least through the, the first few days of a weekend. So give himself a chance to, to make a run in the early days and see what he can't pull off on a Sunday. Well, I think, I think Daniel Berger is a really good pick to, uh, to stay in the top five, you know, stay right around the yeah. lead. But I don't, I don't think he's going to come out with a particularly low round. I think that's going to end up being the deciding factor is a round of maybe 63 maybe a 62 somewhere in there. And I think a guy that's capable of doing that, Scotty Scheffler. I think Scotty Scheffler is very capable of coming out and putting up a very low 60 round score and maybe even following that up with a 64, 65, really put himself into contention early in the week. I see that from Scotty Scheffler. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good call by you because you do need that, you need that one round to put you outside or put you, mm-hmm. uh, separate yourself from everyone else. Uh, and, you know, a guy that I always talk about, um, I say I always talk about, I've mentioned him a few times, and I always see his name, Hideki Masayama. Mm. You know, he's just been playing really good golf. He's just been right there in the middle of the pack, right there playing with everyone. So I have no reason to believe that that's going to change for this weekend. And I think that he is one of those guys who is absolutely capable of going out and shooting uh, a very low round. So I'm definitely looking uh, at him to give me some points this weekend. Yeah, and he's, you know, starting at four under, so he won't need that low of a round to stay in contention. But if you're looking for a guy who's going to post a really low round, uh, Abraham Anser, really, if you're looking for a good pick there. Victor Hovland, of course, too. All of those guys, Matthew Wolf. I'm not even sure if he's playing. Kevin Kisner. Matthew Wolf's not playing? No, he's not. He's not in the top 30. Wow. 
Shout out to Victor Hovland for making it into the top 30 on his second year on tour. That's, that's impressive. That is really impressive. We, you know, we brag a lot on these young guys all the time. And, you know, he's not even at the very bottom of this top 30. He's, you know, top 25. Yeah, I mean, guys like top Victor 20. Hovland, we got, we got Joaquin Neiman. I mean, Xander Softley, Brendan Todd. Like you said, Daniel Berger, Colin Morikawa, then Justin Thomas. All these guys are around 20, at, at least, uh, you know, between 20 and 25 years old. So golf is in really good hands. Of, we wish the big cat was here this week. Josh, I had a lot of fun today. I can't wait to break down all of uh, the basketball we're going to consume over the weekend. And then when we're talking about that, we're going to wake up on Monday morning uh, and watch some golf. We've got, we're going to have some Monday late. Was it Labor Day? Labor Day is Monday. Monday is Labor Day. Labor Day golf finish. Can't wait for it. Had a lot of fun today, buddy. All right. We'll talk to you after the weekend.